and welcome to another episode of the Social Review Podcast. I'm your host, Jasper, at Jasper underscore CH on Twitter, and joining me this week, we have got... Hi, uh, really excited to be here. This is Miriam Burr, which my Twitter username is MRWTCH. Hi, I'm Tess, and I don't know how to introduce myself, Jasper. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Occasional freelance campaigns, strategist, helper person. Yeah. General labour tweeter. Yeah. On on open labour committee as well. That's oh, yeah. important. Yeah. <laughs> Just yeah. throw out all the general titles. gobby shite basically. Oh, yes. Sorry, I don't know if I'm allowed to say that. You can swear. You can okay. swear. That's fine. Okay. This is a R-rated podcast. <laughs> <laughs> as you'll be aware by now, uh, there is a change of leadership within the Labour Party. Keir Starmer is now the leader. Uh, Angela Rayner is deputy leader. We discussed the leadership election itself and the campaigns uh, as well as the potential futures of the Labour Party under Keir Starmer uh, in the previous podcast so do uh, go and listen to those and check those out Um, but in this one uh, we want to focus specifically on the issue of anti-semitism and we're going to be talking about what Labour should be doing over the coming weeks months and years to repair relations with the Jewish community it seems to be a consensus that Keir Starmer has got off to a good start um, so far but there is still so much more work that needs to be done and I'm absolutely delighted to have Um, Tess and Miriam here to talk about it. I suppose we should just jump straight into it. Um, And uh, Miriam, we'll start with you if that's okay. Um, What do you think Labour should be doing under Keir Starmer now effectively um, to be resolving and healing the problem of um, anti-Semitism in the Labour Party? So I think there's two sides to this. There's both the rebuilding of trust and then the practical changes that need to happen. Um, This is an absolute rot at the heart of the party and it does need real action. And I'm incredibly reassured by Keir Starmer's response so far. It's really, really positive. He started out as soon as he was elected by calling Ruth Smith, who has faced such vile anti-Semitism. I know he's spoken to other Jewish MPs or former MPs as well. Um, and he started off as well by reaching out to the board of deputies and offering meetings. He's probably going to have a meeting with lots of, it says in the letter, with lots of different community groups in the Jewish community. And just opening up their dialogue. And even in his acceptance speech, he unreservedly apologised. And I think that is such a massive thing to do with starting out as leader. And it just gives so much of us so much confidence. And then after that, then there's the structural changes that need to happen. So the reform of the National Complaints Co- um, Committee and and also making sure that we actually do expel people or at least take action against people who make anti-Semitic comments who are members. I was like quite sceptical of Keir because he'd been in the shadow cabinet and it's really difficult to know. I mean, you don't know what conversations have been had and what individuals have actually done or what they have the power to do when they're in a position like that. So I was sceptical, but I have to say he's off to a flying start. Like Miriam said, his opening speech, his apology, immediately phoning Ruth Smith, writing to the Board of Deputies. I mean, these are things which could have and should have happened under the last leadership that never happened. These are channels of communication that have been opened within the first 24 hours of his leadership between the Labour Party and the Jewish community and Jewish leaders. Um, But I think it's really easy to go, oh well, 
the call veneer is done now, so we assume that Keir's going to do this, this, and this, and this, and we're not going to know uh, until he does it, for sure. Um, and that's things like staff changes and making the the complaints process independent. Um, I'd say it's also stuff like publishing the Labour Party's response to the EHRC, which I think a lot of people have forgotten wasn't even shown to the NEC, which is, in my opinion, an outrage. That's the governing body of the party that don't even know what the party's official response was to, you know, a, a legal institution investigating them. And they, as far as I understand it, effectively act as like trustees as if they were trustees on a board so they'd be personally liable I think as well to any fallout from that so it's those kind of steps those beginning steps at first but this problem goes a lot deeper than that when we say institutional we don't just mean uh, the structures and the people um, it's also the culture and it's the culture that goes beyond the staff in the offices um, and that includes in CLPs and on social media and at Labour Party events and events which are adjacent to the Labour Party and that in that I would include conference fringe events that aren't on the official um, conference fringe listings for example and stalls which hang about outside conference um, and also any sort of fringe or splinter groups that claim uh, Labour Party branding, that identify themselves as part of the Labour movement. The problem with this, the problem with the anti-Semitism is frankly the radicalisation which has happened and it started slowly um, in these spaces. Um, it starts slowly and it's drip fed it's drip fed to members uh, by other members or by other people occupying those political spaces um, until it gets to such an extreme point over weeks, months or years that, you know, you just look at the Hope Not Hate investigation which showed Labour Party members and ex-Labour Party members uh, going to Holocaust denial meetings um, it's how you end up with an activist like Pete Willsman um, saying blatantly, in my opinion, blatantly anti-Semitic things and the people around him not even necessarily seeing it for what it is, which is racism. Uh, and in that I would also include uh, the instance from the Rebecca Long-Bailey campaign event with the man uh, who took the microphone um, and went on a anti-Semitic rant um, and no one in that room tried to boot him out. They sat and listened um, and that gave it legitimacy. Oh no, definitely. And you're, you're absolutely right, Tess. 100% agree. Um, and, and this radicalisation you talk about is so, is so correct and it needs to be an education piece that goes into every single CLP, unfortunately. Um, and that education piece should be led by the Jewish Labour Movement as our oldest affiliate. Um, and 
I mean, the other thing that I think is really important to remember during all this, as well as fully accepting the HRC recommendations, and, and you're so right, Tess, to, to make that those points as well, um, is that this change isn't going to happen overnight. And I saw some discourse on, online yesterday, which was like, right, Keir's been elected as leader, we've sorted anti-Semitism, and actually the scale of this issue is so huge that a really a leader who's very strong on this and very positive on this, and I've got faith that Keir will do lots of really good and important things it's not it's not going to change things overnight it's still going to take some time to fix all of this um and and we just need to we need to give time and we have to keep trying really really hard unfortunately yeah absolutely it's it's going to be pushing a boulder up a hill uh over the next few months and possibly years um because you know as we've discussed this is absolutely endemic um now in in the labor movement and left-wing political space um in a way that it hasn't been before i mean we've seen anti-semitism in the labor party before we've seen it on the left before um we've never i don't think we've ever seen um such a breakdown in the relationship between the labor movement and the Jewish community, a community which has been active in socialist thought and has birthed a lot of socialist thought of its own right from the very beginning um, of the labor movement. And I don't, so I don't think we've ever seen that before. So it is gonna be a hell of a, of a journey to rebuild that relationship. In terms of the culture, the radicalization culture, it's a tricky one because where is the line between education and expulsion? How do you estimate whether someone would benefit from education or whether they're too far gone um, into whatever anti-Semitic rabbit hole they've gone down? Is there some kind of policy for two strikes and you're out? first strike you have to do your anti-semitism training which i think should be rolled out on mass anyway regardless of if you've been found to be have shared something but for example the the example of nash shah um the mp uh who shared something anti-semitic on facebook a few years ago um she's an example of where education really helped um and she completely turned it around and went to great lengths to rebuild trust with the Jewish community as an individual. Um, but there are some people who, if they demonstrate a pattern of behaviour um, or if there's something particularly uh, malicious in terms of their intent uh, when they say or share or do something, that is anti-Semitic, you know, they've crossed a line. Then the question becomes, well, what happens when you expel these people from the membership? They continue to occupy labour movement space, even if they're not in the party. Now, some of them, they run off to their fringe groups, you know, and resign themselves to irrelevancy. But what happens to the ones who go, all right, then, I'll start taking this activism, this racist activism, into my trade union? Um, or into my the whatever campaign that is Labour Party adjacent, 
what does the Labour Party do about people like that setting up meetings around conference where they're not necessarily directly in Labour Party space, but they're right on the edge of it and they're using other Labour Party members and people who occupy the Labour movement in order to spread those ideas. Some of them obviously, I mean, have to be essentially prescribed on site. There are individuals who don't necessarily organise, but who, if they're expelled by the Labour Party, you do absolutely nothing about the wider Labour movement. And I, I would suggest, particularly in terms of trade unions, does the Labour Party need to say to its affiliated trade unions, we're not just rolling out anti-Semitism training to our members, you need to do it for your members as well. Do they need to say, if anyone comes through your dispute channels or whatever, we'll put you in touch with the JLM or whatever it is, and you are now under obligation um, to do something about bigotry in your union. Um, if you want to hold on to your affiliation or if you want to get the perks of being close to the Labour Party otherwise all all you do is push some of these people into other spaces in which they still have access to Labour Party members and Labour Party space essentially I mean this is this is kind of going to be a, a problem and an attitude that needs undoing. The point about also rooting out anti-Semitism within the wider Labour movement outside of the institutions of the party itself is really important. And we definitely don't want to get into a situation where Keir, Keir Starmer perhaps fixes, fixes in quotation marks maybe, uh, fixes the problem within the party, but then dr just drives all those people out and then the outer spheres of the party still end up infected by it. Um, so I suppose... Uh, a, a strong solution to this is is the cultural change which both of you have mentioned um i suppose at least a portion of the um anti-semitism which came from um within and outside of the labor party um derived from the more um to derive from the po foreign policy positions which became prevalent amongst the left of um people allowing a uh pro-palestine anti-israel foreign policy outlook to filter into anti-semitic and using that policy as then a basis and as an excuse to engage in anti-semitic discourse what policy positions and ideological positions should labor be thinking about changing and altering um in order to ensure that anti-semitism is rooted out or is that not a line of questioning which should be pursued is that not a valid thing to say um I, I personally am pretty happy with like Labour's stance on Israel and Palestine at the moment. Like the manifesto, everything in there, I was I was happy with. Um, I thought it was like a very, you know, Labour Party supports two-state solution. So do I. Um, opposes legal set settlement. So do I. So does the JLM, to be honest. And so do like, you know. It, it's. I think our policy position is fine, but I think the issue is that so many people misunderstand the way in which the community feels about about this issue and they see it as an issue with Jews and not and, and not an issue with a foreign government like you know if you look at anything on Twitter that's about anti-semitism you have someone replying with mention of a foreign policy issue it is a massive 
cultural issue I mean like as me as someone who doesn't talk very much about this issue deliberately and in fact whenever I do talk about it it's to be pro-Palestinian and criticise the Israeli government um, if you google my name my friend pointed out to me the first suggested thing that comes up is Israel <laughs> which oh, really? is like kind of grim um, mm. and it's it, there's a massive issue there to sort of get help people to understand that like you can criticise this, this foreign government without being racist and it's very easy to do so it's not very difficult to do that um, and in fact you are letting down every single Palestinian person when you do conflate your criticism of the Israeli government uh, with with racism um, and that's a difficult thing to take, teach people and I think that's why the education piece is so important and, and I do as Tess said firmly believe that people are capable of being rehabilitated and that we should give people the opportunity to learn and to prove and demonstrate that they've grown and learned and that that is how I feel about all equality issues where I have a right to talk about them um, but obviously as Tess said there's a point at which people will not apologise people are unrepentant and they won't learn and at that point they should have no no place in our movement um, and I think we should be able to have a place where we can discuss policy all policy issues without managing to be racist during it and it's very annoying that people try to conflate these issues um, and I think it's people's unwillingness to realise that a lot of terms have a deep and meaningful history within the oppression of the Jewish people so people talk about like blood in relationship to Israel and Palestine and they don't realise that you know the blood libel is a trope and people get quite indignant and they're like why can't I use this term when actually just like reforming your language a little bit not to include these incredibly racist ideas you can do that really easily you're just like swapping out one word it's not it's not that difficult I'm someone who's like incredibly pro-Palestinian who criticises the Israeli government who has very strong feelings about this issue um, but yeah like and I know Tess will feel the same so many Jewish activists have our opinions presumed and you know people think that we have completely different views and motivations and assign these very evil motivations to us all the time yeah I mean like like Miriam said it's exhausting having your views on foreign policy determined based on your race as a, like assumed by other people you're Jewish so therefore you must be this that and the other and I think also some people don't realise that in itself is racist um, to make those assumptions based on the facts. I mean, I've had people on Twitter who know nothing about me except that I'm Jewish assume my position on those issues. I was desperately trying to find the book that the JLM sent out to all of its members. Um, I think it was a New Year present called, I think it's That's Funny You Don't Look Anti-Semitic. I mean, I don't agree with everything in it, but it, it is really, really interesting. Um, and there were a few excerpts right at the beginning um, that I found really interesting. So it's like it's like left wing anti-Semitism from a Marxist perspective, basically. You're either engaging in racism or you're not. And if you are it isn't coming from a place of wanting human rights and equality and progressive values or socialism, as I understand it. It's either coming from a place of having spent time in these echo chambers, whether that be on social media or in particular meetings or Facebook groups, where anti-Semitic attitudes are drip-fed 
and normalised to the point where you begin to hold prejudice or hatred against Jews in your heart or have a warped idea of of Jewish people or it comes from a place of having already held that and to simply have hijacked a cause to use it as a cloak for your own racism. So if you're being racist, you're being racist. It doesn't matter what kind of progressive activism you say you're doing at the same time. Anti-Semitism is anti-Semitism. People are also a product of society and society is racist and bigoted and skewed in favour of some people and against others and sometimes those attitudes which we've learnt growing up or which you've learnt in an echo chamber as an adult those attitudes have to be unlearned and untaught and there has to be a level of self-reflection in order for you know those prejudices existing to be reversed in people And that's fine. It's great if people can grow and learn. And I always think that education is the first route out of these bigoted rabbit holes. The problem, the more serious, more difficult to deal with problem is when they realise they're harming others with the prejudice they're espousing and continuing to do so. It's the being unrepentant, which is, you know a lot more difficult to deal with and sometimes when this occurs on the left it's going as far as to say what you're accusing me of is impossible because I am a lifelong anti-racist and people absolve themselves because they think well my worldview is about equality and and being nice to people Um, therefore I'm incapable of holding this prejudice and and that's not true. I didn't even know what Zionism was the first time I was told I was a Zionist by a Labour Party supporter on Twitter. And actually the only reason, one of the only reasons I got involved in the JLM with um, activism on Palestine and Israel um, and human rights activism in the region is because I had anti... And this is quite sad, but because I had racists on Twitter telling me I was a Zionist, telling me that I was a warmonger, um, that I had that I had certain views on certain things, and I remember reading, thinking, "Well, why do they think this? I don't even know what Zionism is." So I went and found out what Zionism was, and then discovered, okay, I'm probably a socialist Zionist. This is what I've discovered through my family, our history of being refugees, our history of displacement, which runs all the way through. Jewish culture and traditions, um, my own experience of anti-Semitism from across the political spectrum and having my safety threatened for being Jewish. And all of that has sort of culminated in in my belief in Jewish self-determination. And particularly during a festival like Passover, where we rediscovered the story of Exodus and the Jews, the Israelites, and a story of revolution. Because that's what it is, it's a story of revolution and throwing off the shackles of our oppressors, only to then experience a long continuation of a history of displacement all over the world. That is, I think, it's all of those things that that help people understand why so so many in the Jewish British Jewish community in particular are 
are identify with Jewish self-determination and would call themselves Zionists because a lot of people misunderstand the term and what it is at its root is the belief in Jewish self-determination in a state of Israel. Um, and I guess, you know, where a few decades ago the conversation would have been, well, should we? Should we create a state of Israel or whatever? It's kind of moved beyond that now. I mean, there would have been Jewish anti-Zionists at the time who would have said, you know, hell no, um, I'm staying where I am. My fight is in the country I'm in to be seen as equal. Um, and other Jewish people would have said, we've just had a Holocaust in Europe. Now is the time. Um, we've kind of moved beyond those conversations now that there is the state of Israel into well what does Zionism mean now and like in the story of Exodus I think for a lot of left-wing Zionists we're having a period of wandering through the desert struggling perhaps to articulate and win the arguments for our vision really what a state of Israel looks like um and what, how we think Zionism should manifest in the modern world, particularly when we're up against the hard right. I actually made a lot of friends who were, through through this whole thing, through the anti-Semitism thing, who are either Palestinian themselves or whose families are, or they're also passionate about Middle Eastern politics and foreign policy, who would be characterised by... Uh, the racists as on the opposite side to me because I'm Jewish and they're not um, who actually I've bonded and, and grown friendships with them over this issue I think also people forget just how much anti-semitism the Labour Party has affected other minorities and that actually other minorities see how a a ethnic minority community is being treated by an institution and it sends alarm bells ringing for them because we all know that we have a common struggle and that you know bigots never never ever just focus on one group um that might be the focus there of their attention for a bit but you can absolutely guarantee that if they hold hate in their heart for one type of person they'll hold it for another um and you know, I, I had friends in, in other communities who were really worried by this anti-Semitism thing, not because they were Jewish, they weren't, but because it, it sent a signal about a kind of lack of ethics, basically, and a, and a willingness to tolerate racism. Um, I absolutely agree. And like, I think like being as as tested anti being very anti-racist is not like a standpoint anti-racism is an act of like continually checking yourself and checking your biases and having the openness to check everything that you're thinking and saying and trying to listen as well it's a constant listening exercise um and genuinely i do think that people don't quite appreciate often the institutional nature of labor and semitism and i think when a lot of people hear the words institutional they think oh, that means I personally am anti-Semitic, but actually institutional means it's part of the structures um, and that's to do with, as we've mentioned, the complaints processes. It's also to do with, 
you know, the presence of people who hold anti-Semitic views like Pete Wilsman sitting on the highest body in the Labour Party for such a long time unchallenged. Um, and it's it's to do with like taking the structures of the party and making sure that any instance of racism or other kind of racism isn't tolerated and is eradicated from it, as well as the education piece and the de-radicalisation of members. And going back to the issue of the Israel-Palestine conflict anyone who thinks they can bring about peace by making their activism about Jews versus Palestinians or in some cases that I've seen Jews versus Muslims which you know is also just factually incorrect as well as trying to stoke discord between minorities um I mean two significant members of the PFLP were Christians, for example, one was Catholic, one was Greek Orthodox. So anyone misunderstanding that this is about, they've already begun their activism by having completely misunderstood why there is a conflict there in the first place. It is about land, it is about homeland, it is about territory. That's how it started and that is what it is at its heart. So anyone trying to stoke up tensions or mar a cause for equality by deploying racism of all things is doing it wrong that should go without saying and for what it's worth in my own personal experience of speaking with and working with Palestinian people on this issue is that any anti-semitism I've experienced in conversations about the Israel-Palestine conflict has overwhelmingly been from white Europeans many of whom call themselves socialists and that's not really anything new. You can actually, in fact, trace it all the way back to the 19th and early 20th centuries where actually a lot of uh, anti-Semitism in the region was a Western import. It's a result of Western imperialism. Um, for example, it was apparently the British who brought the very anti-Semitic conspiracy theory um, the the protocol of the elders of Zion um, to to the region uh, and uh, a lot of the um, original uh, first um, Arabic texts which were anti-Semitic were translations from French works in French colonies that had been translated into Arabic by by on order by the French um, so I think you know, this, the idea of anti-Semitism as a Western, a white European import into these conversations, um, the, like the Israel-Palestine conflict, is, is really nothing new. Um, and I'd say just in general, people need to recognise that the left is absolutely capable of racism, as anyone is, and it's our job to strive to be anti-racists and create a world in which those prejudices do not exist. And that involves self-reflection and being in, like Miriam said, being in a constant state of improvement. It's not about absolving ourselves or thinking we are morally pure and good uh, because humans are flawed. Should we talk a little bit about um, how Labour can improve its overall general public perception? Yeah, definitely. Um, and I think that's something that Keir is wonderfully placed for. 
Um, and it's about making sure we're an organisation that's professional. Um, and I know that's that doesn't mean diluting our politics. That doesn't mean, you know, being any less radical or any less of committed socialists. But it's about making sure in w- the, the way in which we organise ourselves and conduct ourselves is professional and sets the best example possible. Making sure that we don't have, you know, MPs doing freelance opposition all the time making sure all of our lines are coordinated and united so that way we can have the strongest possible um opposition to the tories that's not saying no dissent within the party because obviously there will be disagreements and there will be a need for those disagreements and that's a good thing but making sure that the way in which we you know treat our own employees is really really strong and positive as a movement making sure that um you know mps are (laughs) behave in a way which is always professional and and that relates to what tess said about you know making sure we tackle sexual harassment completely and 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 things like that and yeah i'm I'm very much here for a more professional outlook for the party yeah and i i definitely agree with you that that i think is what people are hoping keir starmer will be able to deliver i think that was something which came across quite well in his campaign of the need to bring bring together a broad coalition which is ultimately what his campaign did do um from all across the labor party um with the ultimate goal of winning the next general election um and i think what the anti-semitism crisis has also fueled is the perception of labor uh, a perception which i think in in was essentially correct um the perception of labor as as an incompetent party as one that didn't know what it was doing and it's like well if you can't if you can't sort out people being racist within your party, how can we trust you to run a country? Um, so I was just, in addition to what you've just said, Miriam, Tess, um, do you have any further thoughts on how Labour can professionalise its uh, political and media operation and look to people and say to people outside of the party and outside of our spheres, the general public, that they are a government in waiting? In terms, I mean, I wasn't, part of the Keir campaign he wasn't my favourite candidate and I did criticise him but a lot of his campaign was extremely professional already in its own right and I think a lot of people could agree that regardless of whether they were supporting him or not or what wing of the Labour Party they identify with um, he clearly had a really strong team of people around him um, that ran a really professional um outward looking campaign and made a lot of strategic decisions which were clever and may have been frustrating for some outsiders looking in um, but actually from a strategic point of view um, made sense. Um, I think a big part of looking like a government in waiting is going to be your shadow cabinet, we don't know what that's going to look like yet Um, but also we have five years now we might have slightly less um depending on how things go but we've got five years now to build our government in waiting we've got time for backbenchers who frankly didn't weren't allowed to shine under um corbyn's reign basically um there was a stranglehold seemingly on policy making now, of course, that's nothing new, um, but what would really help the Labour Party thrive, I think, in terms of 
professionalism is opening up the spaces to be able to have those policy discussions in a way which aren't hyper adversarial in which are trying to find solutions and common ground and say what can we do uh, within our within our means um, what can what can we do in the first five years of government what can we do to change people's lives on day one of a Labour government within the first 100 days um, what are we working towards long term if we can open up these discussions in a way which aren't so hostile we already make ourselves look much more professional as a party than people who can't handle dissent um, and those who don't agree with us and also know how to dissent I mean in a way which is respectful and still looking out for the interests of so the true. party and not just for the sake of it even the shadow cabinet if he if he chooses people and people go eh, I don't know who that is never heard of them um it may be people who behind the scenes have been very very talented who have a lot of potential that we may not fully realize until three or four years into starmerism um so it's not going to look like a government in waiting from day one it's brilliant if it does that would be wonderful um but you know we've got time to kind of train up front new front benches to handle media better and to be able to have freedom of policy development in their own departments i think that's really important i mean i'm really I'm really looking forward to seeing what happens. I mean, I'm very really looking forward to criticising it as well, don't get me wrong. But there's there's something quite exciting about not actually knowing what's ahead um, and the opportunities that, that provides for members to say, actually, we can afford to be more ambitious and more radical in policy, I think, than we could under Corbynism because we're op- hopefully we're going to open up those conversations. Um, and not have and not have it defined for us what is left wing what is good trying to out left each other um and actually going what 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 would actually be really quite incredible why why do we have to put restrictions on ourselves um in, and put ourselves in a box for an for aesthetic reasons what can we actually do to transform this country and even with the pandemic going on at the moment it's an incredibly sad difficult time people are very worried and they need something to look forward to on the other side of it and i really think the labor party can offer that if we can be a beacon of hope for the future in people's lives that's a really important thing i mean we have to be able to look not just inside our own party but have a wider perspective on this and go Actually, it's not about us and winning our little debates amongst amongst each other and dunking on people on Twitter. Um, it's actually about looking after the country and the world, and we have a unique role to play in that. On the previous episode of the podcast, something which we talked about was how Keir Starmer could actually end up being the David Cameron of the Labour Party, as it were, in the sense that David Cameron got away with pushing through some really radical right-wing legislation at points, but by part, getting it through by being able to say, "Oh no, no, no! This is all this is all common sense. This is all very sensible centrist 
centrist stuff you can trust me on this call me dave etc etc um and perhaps a, a strength of keir starmer um which can be found in in how broad his coalition is and how some people perceive him as some kind of black right when he's not um will be being able to propose radical things like a radical redistribution of wealth and power and um radical commitments to human rights and radical socialism um as you said um but by being like oh no 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 i am a very sensible person you know i am a knight and i am the former director of public prosecutions this is all very sensible this is what we need to do um miriam i don't know if you would you agree with that yeah definitely and i think starmer is a very credible message carrier um he's a very professional person i think he is what he say is and a lot of people see him and they think oh he must be up to something because i think just in the labor party everyone is somehow viewed as having a hidden agenda but he is a credible socialist you know an advocate for human rights obviously i'm biased i did i did back him in the leadership contest um but and and obviously no leader is perfect but i think he is a phenomenally like credible message carrier and he's someone who really does understand and the, the patrick Maguire new statesman piece is really good at this about how sometimes the need to be practical to create change so he talks about how he was growing up like someone who's incredibly critical of the police and wrote about police brutality and things that the police had got wrong and then as an adult and as a lawyer he worked um i think in northern ireland on some reform around the police and he realized that by that he could he could help change things and make things better by taking an active role if that makes sense um and and that he is someone who has very strong principles and very strong beliefs but he can put those into action i think if you have the policy development to back up what you're arguing it's 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 common sense already if you can make that persuasive argument to people and in the current circumstances it's made it really obvious to the public that fundamental radical change is needed in this country and it's also shown that these things are possible for example on homelessness look how quickly um, some places have managed to rehouse the homeless overnight it's like oh wow we could do these things all along it exposes how much of these things were fictions that problems that our structures created and perpetuated and we just didn't want to believe it right like we could do this all along exactly as soon as it's starting to threaten other people in terms of like this this pandemic has shown us like it's brought what keeps our country going um right into the spotlight redefined who are the workers who keep our society going for example and i think that's gonna have a massive show massive attitude shift um but i think ultimately like as a party if we if we chase change instead of aesthetics and slogans and we have the research to back it up that's all we need. There's no battle between trying to be radical and trying to present ourselves as sensible. It's really easy to do both. And I think also my last thought is, I guess, a bit of advice to people in the party who think Keir Starmer is their opponent, which is don't work with the opponent that you think you have 
and that you wish you had rather than who you've actually got in front of you. This is an opportunity for you to organise for the campaigns that you care about and influence Labour Party policy in a way, perhaps in a way that we couldn't before. I mean, I'm hopeful of that. Despite how difficult these past few months are, despite all of the horrific things that are going on in the world, I am cautiously hopeful for the future of the Labour Party and our movement. Um, I think we're incredibly early days, we're only one or two days in at this stage, and, and we'll see what happens, but... I'm hopeful for the future of the party under Keir Starmer, although that's not going to stop us criticising and speaking out and whatever else. Thanks very much for listening to another episode of the Social Review podcast. I really do hope you enjoyed it. And uh, thank you so much to Tass and Miriam for coming on. We have a page on our website at thesocialreview.co.uk called Practical Solidarity, um, which is filled with links to resources in becoming a better ally in the fight against anti-Semitism. Uh, there's a link to submit evidence to the um, Equality and Human Rights Commission report, if you've got that, uh, a link to joining affiliate membership of Jewish Labour, uh, to donate to the JLM, as was repeatedly f- referred to throughout this podcast, uh, their um, EHRC Investigation Fighting Fund, um, and we've also got a link to the essay which Tess referred to, uh, That's Funny, You Don't Look Anti-Semitic, uh, by Steve Cohen. So it's not a contemporary essay, it's from the 1980s, but it's it's really well it's really well worth a read. Otherwise, we'll have some more episodes going up over the next week or so, further covering minority issues uh, within the Labour Party in reaction to Keir Starmer's election. So rest assured, we are not going away. Stay safe, stay well, stay inside. Thanks for listening. Have a good day. Bye-bye. also wrote a letter to the board of deputies and he's planned um, a meeting um with the <laughs> you're fine my flatmate just walked into the room sorry it's because the connection's bad i'm in here <laughs> she just gave me a thumbs up sorry about that guys um